Money FM 89.3, best of the evening runway. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3, good afternoon. It is the evening runway. I'm Elliot Danker. It is now time to take a look at key headlines out of the Europe region. After a year and a half of war, Ukraine's leaders now have a reason to worry. Bounting political chaos in America is threatening to derail the supply of money and weapons. Days after lawmakers shelved the vital U.S. plan to send billions of dollars in aid to Kiev, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy ousted by his own Republican Party colleagues. And aid to Ukraine was named as one of the reasons. So what will happen to USA to Ukraine after this historic removal of the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy? On the line with me is Dr. Samir Puri, visiting lecturer in war studies at King's College London. He's also author of the book Russia's Road to War with Ukraine. Dr. Samir, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very well, Elliot. Good to speak to you. Hi. It has been a while, sir, and it looks like there's been a new development. The U.S. Uh, narrowly averting a government shutdown over the weekend. And then after that, Kevin McCarthy got ousted as U.S. House Speaker. Now, is this the reason they've averted this shutdown, essentially saying it's all because of the aid being sent to Ukraine? What's your view on this? What's your observation here? Well, it's a really complicated situation because you've got politics in America and you've got the war in Ukraine and American security assistance there. But just on McCarthy's uh, you know, being, his removal, basically what seems to have happened is he did a side deal with Joe Biden to say that they'll find a way to fund uh, the war in Ukraine through a different route. But to get uh, the government to avoid a shutdown, he took that piece out. And that's how he brought some of the radical Republicans together with the rest of the Republicans, the Democrats, to avoid this government shutdown. Um, it's, it's, I suppose, symbolic of how toxic the issue of funding Ukraine has become to the extreme wing of the Republican Party. Those who like Trump and DeSantos and Vivek Ramaswamy, the, the, the candidates for, for running for president next year. Uh, it's it's quite chaotic, and definitely people in Europe will be panicking over this, the Ukrainians most of all. Mm, for sure. So what then would Kiev's next move have to be, considering that this is going to have a massive effect on the you know efforts with regard to that conflict? Well, Zelensky, personally, the president of Ukraine, will be very disappointed because he actually took a trip to Washington, D.C. not that long ago, not long before this debate was happening. And he would have taken that trip with the knowledge, of course, he's well briefed by his ambassador and, you know, his lobbyists in Washington. But this is a good moment, a vital moment to come and make that case again. Also, Zelensky spoke at the U.N. General Assembly in New York, you know, just down the coast from uh, up the coast from Washington. Uh, his speech didn't go down as well as it has, I think, in previous years, because there is a bit of Ukraine fatigue yeah. creeping in. Yeah. And Zelensky will be very disappointed. What can the Ukrainians do other than pray and keep lobbying? But I think the danger now is that their lobbying efforts, which clearly entail highlighting the suffering of Ukrainians and the injustice that they suffered from the Russians, <coughs> is not working in quite the same way as it was. And it can't work in the same way forever, can it? A horrible point of speculation, Dr. Samir, but you look at the situation and you can't help but wonder, after a while, as you mentioned, Ukraine fatigue, and then people just forget that this conflict is going on and it just drags out. It's already dragged out longer than it should have. Yeah, and I remember you know, people talking about Afghanistan fatigue or Syria yeah. fatigue when yeah. you talk about previous wars in the last 15 years. 
This is what Putin has been counting on because ultimately, uh, eventually, uh, the suffering carries on and it becomes something people become a bit more immune to. They feel sympathy for it, but it doesn't quite provoke the same emotions as, as it did right at the very start, especially when Ukraine doesn't seem to be going anywhere with the 46 billion or so dollars in terms of their retaking territory uh, that the Russians have occupied, their counteroffensive is running to almost insurmountable difficulties. That's a really bad combination, isn't it? You know, two years into the war coming up and a lack of progress based on the $46 billion plus of US security assistance, not to mention the billions of euros that the Europeans have sent as well. I'm sure you've thought about this as an author yourself. Um, the possibility that 20 years time, 30 years time, this actually never got resolved, and, and as we were just discussing, the conflict is just there, kind of I like definitely, yeah, kind of like yeah, North and ahead. South Korea in that sense. Uh, beg your pardon. I completely agree with you. And when I wrote my book last year, I mean, I obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but mm -mm. my gut told me, having lived in East Ukraine, my gut told me this won't get resolved by a big victory yeah. one way or the other. It's too complex. You mentioned North and South Korea. Yeah. I mentioned a divided Cyprus. Sure. been divided yeah. for longer than I've been alive. And I think people forget that that was a, a Turkish invasion and yeah. a, a Greek-facing coup. Not to go down that rabbit hole, the Palestinian issue, mm. different sorts mm -hmm. of issues. But the world has these issues that the, the strength of feeling, the nationalisms, the, the xenophobias, the hatreds become so entrenched. Yeah. The political disputes become so unresolvable that you have to almost you know, draw the line somewhere and agree not to resolve the situation. Yeah, I mean, and that's awful to say, but yeah. that is that's one of the things that we, we face in the world. You're so right on that. I mean, I, I out of caution, I was just googling to to see uh, what are some of the the wars or conflicts that have uh, not been resolved, and you see the location it starts and the result. They, they literally put the word result inconclusive, and and it will mm. be sad if uh, we were to see this uh, situation where Russia and Ukraine is concerned. Now, I know we're supposed to talk about European politics, uh, Doctor. But what are the odds where the United States is concerned and the, the successor of Kevin McCarthy? How, how does Ukraine factor into uh, Mr. McCarthy's successor? Well, I think we can definitely include America with Eurowatch because, let's face it, it was set up by, by European settlers a few yeah. hundred years ago. So maybe, <laughs> okay. there we go, at a stretch. Um, I, that, that's still, you know, reading, you know, uh, I'm of course just reading the US press on the latest of this, and it's still, you know, up in the air as to who will be his successor. I didn't actually realize that Kevin McCarthy had only been in since January. So okay. he'd not had uh, very long in the job anyway. And a lot of this is just, you know, it's an outcome of how horribly toxic just debates have become within the Republican Party. And America is going to be stuck with different versions of this, this problem all the way up until its election, until mm -hmm. we realize the world is, of course, Wait, an American I was speaking to a few months ago described the U.S. presidential election as the greatest show on earth. Yeah, yeah. And I have to agree with them that the world's attention will turn to it. And in the run-up between now and then, we can only expect to see more infighting, more bitterness, more divisiveness, and more difficulty in the business of government for America. Because mm. it's, it's as if by, by, bipartisanship mm. when Republicans, Democrats agree. I, I don't mean to be cynical about this. Mm -hmm. One of the only things they can agree on is confronting China. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when you get beyond that, there's not that much they agree on, domestic and international. It's, it's very divisive. Might have to change the segment to Global Watch, uh, Dr. Samir. Um, but you're right on that one. The greatest show on earth, they are the greatest showmen on earth as well. And since they're so prominent as far as uh, giving aid to Ukraine is concerned, do you think after this other 
so-called allies are going to start to waver as well. Well, the, at the other end of NATO, geographically from America, you've seen Poland have this enormous di- yeah. uh, dispute with, with Ukraine yeah. over grain. Not to go down that yeah. rabbit hole, but subsidizing uh, farmers is a big issue in the EU. And, you know, Ukraine, of course, can't send its grain through its ports because it's lost half its coastline and the Black Sea is militarized. So it's been you know, sending it across land into the EU. Poland just didn't want to support that. Uh, and it said it won't export any more equipment. It's got a lot of equipment it is supporting, mm. defense equipment. So that's a different thing. That's not connected to America. But okay. you can just see, you know, nearly two years in supporting Ukraine's military and its finances in this horrible conflict it's fighting, which you know, its back is against the wall because yeah. Russia is so large. The stress starts to show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when the conflict enters its third year, you know, which is only you know, four or five months from now, I don't think the consensus that's existed around supporting Ukraine will exist in quite the same way into the future. It can't indefinitely. It's just too expensive a business and it's too heartbreaking because yeah. you're paying Ukrainians to fight to defend their lands mm. and countless Ukrainians are being mutilated and injured so no real big shift on the battlefield. Yeah. Uh, and there's a, there's a sort of, you know, the human heart has to also, I think, look at this, not just the people looking at the, the budgets as well. Yeah, that is a fair point. Uh, another long-drawn issue in Europe tends to be the issue of migration. Uh, but it looks like we've seen the first leg of a long-awaited migration reform. Uh, this has been years in the making. Uh, Dr. Samia, talk to us about the significance of this breakthrough. Right, so this is a, a meeting that's going to be taking place in, I think it's Granada, mm. the, the southern Spanish city, the 27 EU national leaders are meeting just on the 6th of October, so just coming up. So there's, there's one thing that they, they're talking about is, is EU enlargement, which, is, uh, which yeah. we'll get to in a moment, I'm sure. Yeah. This, the migration agreement they've come to is if Europe faces a sudden spike migrants, like it did after the Syria conflict really worsened in 2015-16. If you remember, that's the time Angela Merkel said, as many can come as they want. And then people debated that decision, you know, ever since, saying, how can you say that? How do we let anybody in and so many people in? That sort of crisis with the boats coming across the Mediterranean, with boats coming across the channel into the, the UK, we've all seen the news footage. So it really is about what to do if there's a sudden spike in migrants. Yeah. Thousands coming in one go. I would just give you one horrible scenario. Is, yeah. God forbid something happens in Ukraine yeah. and the Ukrainian military uh, suffers a, a serious defeat and you have tens of thousands of Ukrainians heading into Europe. I can imagine that's the, that's the sort of thing people will be thinking is not a, not a zero possibility event. Mm. So it's about agreeing to how to respond to that in a coordinated way. Otherwise, you have individual governments responding piecemeal. And of course, finally, in Europe, you always have the threat that very right-wing political parties inside these countries, like the AFD in Germany and uh, the Le Pen family in France, yeah. they exploit this for xenophobic purposes and yeah. say, uh, and, and they bring uh, uh, much more angry politics into centre stage uh, because of the migration levels into into EU countries. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. I mean, even Poland, uh, people in Poland were were talking about this at the start of the conflict. And uh, I think some years ago, I saw it for myself in Spain. Um, I, I think this was in relation to uh, a conflict in Syria. Uh, Dr. Sami, have you been to Granada yourself uh, in Spain? I have, actually. Yeah. Ten years ago, I took a great road trip through Andalusia, <laughs> 
which is the southern part of Spain. Wow. It's got Seville, Granada, and, and it's really interesting that they're having this conference there. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, uh, it's sort of the, not quite the edge of the EU, but if you go a little bit further south from Granada, you can catch a ferry to Tangier across ah. the Mediterranean, so uh, to Morocco. So you, I think psychologically, it's, you know, the EU's borders of the Mediterranean, you know, sort of, you know, through Turkey and, and Russia, obviously, and, and Ukraine. Oh. So, so as opposed to focusing minds, if you're thinking about future enlargement yeah. of, of the EU, yeah. it's, it's quite a symbolic place. It's also historic because, you know, in the... 15th century, that was the, the city that was retaken by the Spanish from the Moors. That's right. Same year as uh, uh, Christopher Columbus uh, you know, sailed off to, to the New World. So there's, there's always been something about the expansion of Christendom and Europe, I think, associated with Granada. Yeah. And the Alhambra Palace is beautiful, featured yes. on Game of Thrones as well. 27 to 30 plus members, the EU expansion. You think this will happen? You know, I'd forgotten about EU enlargement because it's been <laughs> 10 years since Croatia. Uh, oh yes, and and before that, I think it was 2007. You had the last big tranche of new members, and the world is really different, isn't it? In those ten years, yeah. uh, the, the Balkans members, because obviously Croatia is in, but the other Balkan states haven't come in. That's one side of the question. The other side is the the vexed question of the even more vexed question of the former Soviet socialist republics, Moldova, Georgia, Ukraine. I think the Balkan states have got a less difficult path, clearly, because Russia is not going to wage war to, to stop this sort of thing. Mm. But nonetheless, I think there's, there's, there's big issues about the levels of wealth in these countries. Clearly, the, the benefit of joining the EU, which is a very rich trading bloc, yeah. is over the years, your country, after you join, your GDP per capita, yes. your productivity, it goes up. Yes, That's why you join. That's Poland why. is not the same place it was 20 years ago. Yes. It's wealthier relative to where it was 20 years ago, mm. does the European Union and the European continent have the appetite and the patience to do all this again with another set of countries mm. whilst they're also funding, part funding the Ukraine, defense of Ukraine, and they'll probably have to fund more than the Americans the reconstruction of Ukraine mm. and they're dealing with refugees. And that's, yeah, as we know, as we've talked about, that's going to be an issue for Europe for, for many years, for possibly decades to come. Uh, again, just to round that off, I think, is the EU biting off more than it can chew with a future round of enlargement? Let's see how the leaders debate it. You could find some coming out very strongly against it, some trying to kick the can down the road and say, yes, it's a nice idea, but we'll get them in in 10 or 15 years, which is as good as saying, don't bother, because that's what they said to Turkey 20 years ago, and yeah. Turkey never got anywhere. So Dr. Samir Puri, visiting lecturer in war studies at King's College London. He's also author of the book Russia's Road to War with Ukraine. Dr. Samir, appreciate your time. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.